Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha? How you feeling, man, out there in Nebraska land? I feel pretty good. <laughs> I feel pretty good, man. It's it's uh interestingly enough, man, there's some weather that's on its way in here and uh looks like a little little storm cloud action trying to trying to kick in and uh, we could always use, you know, just just some rain and and that kind of thing. The weather's been nice, but uh, but yeah, I'm just hoping it doesn't have any effect on our on our recording capabilities this you know this evening. So we'll see how. Are that you goes. Uh, are you in quote unquote tornado alley? Yes, being in Omaha. Interestingly enough, we still are not to the degree that I was when I was in Oklahoma. Um, but there's still quite a few. I've been surprised by how many tornadoes actually touchdown in this part of the country. Uh, it's not, like I said, not nearly as as bad as it as it is in Oklahoma, where I was. Uh, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where some major, major uh, storms kick down pretty regularly. But yeah, we do from time to time still get uh, tornado warnings and things like that here as well. So yeah, I wanted to ask you, man, right at the top, was your week on social media as interesting as mine was this week? No, my my weeks are never as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> my weeks are never as interesting as your weeks, man. Never. I I really enjoy I here's the thing. I man, I I watch you on social media. Uh you know the number of guys that I watch. First of all, it's it's an honor to be in, you know, even named in some of the circles of folks that that we're you know that we are being tweeted in. Of course, you're on a whole nother wavelength than than what I'm what I'm dealing with. I blame you for all of the followers that I do have because when I as as most people know, if they followed us for any length of time, I did I don't I didn't really use Twitter until this broadcast. I really didn't, and mm-hmm. uh, and so very very little, very very few. I think when when we started, I may have had maybe two three hundred. Uh, followers. I think I'm up to almost 3,000 now at this point. I don't know where you're at, 15, 20,000. I don't know where you're at. No, nah, but... I just broke 16. Okay. Oh, just 16. Oh, okay. We got yeah, it. Yeah, that's man. all. <laughs> I just broke 16. <laughs> <laughs> and on my blog, I just broke 20. Oh, yeah. That's all. You know, that's no, all. No big deal. 20, that's 000. all. That's all. Well, interestingly <laughs> enough, man, I, I guess the way to get more followers these days, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I think one of the ways to get more followers these days is to aim the darts at you a little bit, bro, is to is to yeah. maybe wake up and, and kind of that, that whole woke mentality where you get up, you're, you're, you're more angry than you were yesterday about whatever it was that you thought to be angry about and and i guess in the minds of some your name comes up and man it gets yeah. pretty interesting yeah i never know what you know what the morning's gonna have for me um right. when i wake up when god opens my eyes every morning i have no idea what's gonna be facing me that day so you know right. over the course of my i don't know social media life however many years that's been i mean right. i've been accused of not being black right been accused of being white Right now, I'm being accused of facilitating white supremacy. And I'm like, man, will right. you guys make up your mind now? Uh, <laughs> which, which am I? If I'm not black, right, and I'm white, 
Right. But but now then, I'm a, an assimilationist and facilitating I white supremacy. That. Yeah, I saw that. Which am I so yeah. I can make up my mind? I mean, I need to go get my driver's well, license renewed and tell them what ethnicity I am. I mean, you I don't missed, even know you, anymore. You, well, you missed all the all the earlier stuff where you were a sellout and a Tom yeah. and a coon mm-hmm. and a, all of these yeah. other things, too. Yeah. So you yeah. you hit you hit on both sides of the coin, yeah. man. I'm thinking about getting a vanity license plate made that just says Tom. Uh, (laughs) i'm thinking to go ahead and just sell it on tom i mean because i think i'm just gonna spin the wheel right see where the wheel lands but lands on tom you know i'll I'll get tom on my license plate or or if it lands on uncle if it lands on coon wherever it lands that's you're gonna go with it yeah i'm just gonna roll with it man that is i I, I give up i get up i give up man (laughs) But I think I'm gonna settle on Tom though. Tom. That sounds yeah. like a plan. That sounds yeah, that, like a that, plan. It's only three letters. It kind of rolls off the tongue. You, know, tongue you, right, right. you don't have to you don't have to exert much energy saying it. Right, right. And then right. it probably keeps people curious. And, and, curious, you know, right. You know, it's like they like, don't uh, they don't know is that a white guy? Is that yeah. a black guy? Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just Tom. Yeah, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> <laughs> It's just Tom. So you know oh what? You know what? Uh, here we're gonna do this right now, Omaha. Okay. We're gonna do it. I'm I'm putting this edict down right now. Okay. Because it's my show. You do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. So people have been trying to give me a nickname since I've been in California. Oh no, don't do it. They've been trying to call me Hollywood. Hollywood Harrison. Call me, you know, Santa Clarita, you know. Right, right, right. So they're just trying to connect me with this. Dangerous Daryl. Dangerous Daryl. Right, right, right. You know what? From now on. Just call me Tom. Just call me Tom, and then that'll settle it. Just lose it, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just call me Tom, and we're good. We're good to go. Oh my goodness! Wow. You know what? I give up, man. I mean, I'm so done with this, man. I'm like, listen, <clears throat> we, listen. Let's just call me Tom and just leave it there. Let's let these the dust settle. I'm, I'm amazed at at how these guys wake up every day more angry than yesterday. Or how more, do you wake up? How do you wake up angry? That's, that's what woke. Seriously. That's what wokeness will do to you, man. If you it, call you just, yourself, and they call themselves Christians. They call themselves redeemed, regenerated followers mm-hmm. of Christ. Right. But oh my gosh, they are the angriest, the most yes. vindictive, the most vengeful, yes. the most unjoyous right. people you can ever come across. So you know what? I'm just gonna play your game with you. Right. Just right. call me Tom. Right. Because the vast majority of people don't realize that when you call a black person Uncle right. Tom, right. And see, they they've got people they like you and me. Read. Yeah. Bingo. They've they've yeah. got people like you and me sort of in a niche you know, in, in their own category, uh, because we, we, we are in many ways, and I'm, it's sad to say this, we are unique mm-hmm. in many ways. You have two reformed conservatives, social, fiscal, political, conservative, Christian, black men. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's sadly, that's unique. Right. Uh, in our current landscape. Uh, but most people, and I'm going to, I'm going to educate some people on this. Before you call me Uncle Tom again, just please understand that you're actually doing me a favor. Right. You're actually paying me a compliment. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I say that because the vast majority of people who try to use that term as a pejorative, right, as an ethnic pejorative, mm-hmm. haven't read Harriet Beecher Stowe's book, right. Uncle Tom Cabin. Right. Which, by the way, should be in every American's library. Mm-hmm. Every American should have a copy of Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom Cabin and read it. Because when you read it, what you find is that Tom is the hero of that story. That story has the gospel strewn throughout. Throughout. And at the end of the story, spoiler alert, at the end of the story, for my critics who can't read, let me go ahead and tell you how this book ends. (laughs) The book ends, the story ends with Tom getting beaten to death Mm -hmm. by his slave master, whipped to death. But while he's being beaten to death, Tom is preaching the gospel Mm. to his slave master. He is not only telling his slave master as he's being beaten about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's calling him to believe in Christ. He's calling him to faith in Christ while simultaneously forgiving his slave master for what he is doing to him. Mm. Tom is a Christ-like figure in the story of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Right. There's a theology about Uncle Tom's cabin. There's a Christology to Uncle Tom's cabin. Mm-hmm. There's a soteriology mm-hmm. to Uncle Tom's cabin. There's a homartiology to Uncle Tom's cabin. Mm-hmm. You could argue that Uncle Tom's cabin is a systematic theology. Mm-hmm. You could argue that. Mm-hmm. So, again, for my critics out there, next time you want to call me a Tom, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> ah, that's a tweet right there. <laughs> Cue up the mascot. Next time you want to call me a Tom, thank you. <laughs> I mean, come on, bro. Please. Come on, man. And we we didn't that look, that was that was all extra, man. We didn't we didn't have that's not even in the notes. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna charge for that. <laughs> but I but I had to get that out. I had to get that out for all That's my haters out there. It's interesting, man. I just looked at it and I thought I just shook my head and and I thought, well, there it is. You know, there it is. There we there we go. There we there go we again. Go. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's I guess it comes in cycles, but I'm serious, you know, next time I don't I, you know, it's like it's like that old Buzz Bunny cartoon, you know, he would say, Well, they don't know me very well, do they? You know, mm-hmm. I, this stuff doesn't bother me, man. No. I mean, if you want to call me a Tom? Come on, call, thank you. Call me Tom. Fine, thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment. That's the thing. I, I I'll say this, man, and 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 then we'll turn to some other issues. You know, as we move forward. Here, my my thought was this: you and I, you and I are not new to this. I mean, the 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 ideas around around a biblical worldview, b conservatism from a political standpoint, socioeconomic standpoint. We've been we've been in our own spaces addressing, dealing with and talking about these issues for a long time. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for the Candace Owens of the world, uh, you know, for uh, for 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 the, the different young conservatives that that, you know, that, that are black who, who, are, who are talking about these issues. I got I cut my teeth on Walter Williams. You know, I yep. cut my teeth on Thomas Sowell. I cut yep. my teeth on back in the day. I mean, this yeah. is. 
you know, I, I started thinking about this from a standpoint of who I first voted for. To give you an idea, my first vote ever was for George uh, Bush, not mm-hmm. not W. Bush, the first Bush. Yeah, the first Bush. Yeah, the first Bush. And so that's how far back my conservatism goes. I've never voted for a Democratic candidate. I, I've always been conservative. Mm-hmm. So we've been these aren't new ideas. None of this is brand new. I didn't wake up yesterday and go, you know what? I think I'll be conservative. Uh, we both of us have a military background, come yep. from that kind of a, a framework of, of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, informed by a biblical worldview and our faith. You just so none of this this stuff where you where you got woke last week. And mm-hmm. and the best thing that you can do is is lash out in a social media space is really going to be something that shakes you or I from. Oh, I guess I better change things up now. They they come right. at me. I mean, g- right. give me a break with I mean, that, right? I mean, come on, listen. Let me keep it real here, bro. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice in my life. Mm-hmm. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice. Each time was by a black man. Mm. I grew up in. Poverty-stricken inner-city public housing, waking up some morning with mice in my bed. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing anyone can say to me that will ever get me rattled. Right. Ever. Right. You know, I'll put my street cred up against anybody's. Mm. Okay? So, So none of this, none of these woke arrows that they're throwing at me. Bother me. <laughs> right. 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 You guys really are wasting your time. Mm. You're wasting your time. Okay. So let me just go ahead and take all the air out of their balloon. Whatever pejorative you want to call me, fine. Go ahead and do it. But if you're going to call me anything, just call me Tom. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it at that. Okay. Call it. Call, let's call it Tom and we'll, we're good. Let's call it good. We're good. We're All good. Right, we good, bro. good stuff, man. I appreciate you taking the aim at that. Like I said, that was not even that's all that's all extra, no charge, man. That's extra, right? That's that's like this would be like an episode plus. You know how they release different uh software updates and stuff and they'll say version one dot oh. Well right. this was version one dot one. You guys get the one the point one for free. So that's <laughs> that's just gravy, okay? <laughs> Now we're about to roll into the actual topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Man, this is good stuff. Well, listen, speaking of, of not being affected by by darts and arrows and different things like that, man, we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be chalking up quite a bit uh today about the, the big the big movie uh that I happen to get a chance to go uh see this weekend, the Avengers Endgame. Uh, just kind of bringing it off the top. I I, I told Daryl when when we determined we were going to land on this this topic. You know, I, I decided I was I was going to take the wife. We were going to pack up, make it a date night, go see the movie, and so that's what we did, man. And so I, I just want to upfront before we even jump in, just say that our, our intent has nothing to do with spoiling the film for anybody or giving away aspects of the movie or telling you what happens in any of the segments. This is not by any way, in any any way, shape, or form, a a critique uh, of the movie or a review is probably a better thing to say. A, a review of the movie or any of the scenes or anything like that. It was just a a good opportunity to get out, see something that is that has really drawn the attention of a lot of the culture. When you look at the uh, the amount of money that is being spent 
in this area uh, with with uh, with regard to this movie. And so I thought, man, it'd be neat to talk about to as we do on Just Thinking. We look at all kinds of events through the lens of a biblical worldview. And I thought, man, with something so popular, it'd be awesome to push this this issue, this thing through the through the lens of that worldview and kind of take a look uh, and see how we land on the other side. So with that, man, I'll toss it to you, Brother Darrell. Yeah, I appreciate that, Verge. And yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're doing what we always do here on the Just Thinking Podcast. We take a uh, contemporary, maybe a sociocultural, political issue, and we look at it through the lens of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And when we landed on this topic, man, I was preparing for this episode, and I did some research on, you know, because we're talking about Avengers Endgame, right? But through a theological lens, and as you said earlier, we're not going to spoil a single second of that film for anyone who hasn't seen it. This is this episode is not intended to be a review overview or anything like that of the film. So you can just relax. There are no spoilers planned in this episode whatsoever. But given the topic that we're talking about here, just a a blockbuster film like uh, uh, Avengers Endgame, I thought it'd be cool to just do some research on the origins of superheroes. Mm -hmm. And I found in my research that the first superhero character actually dates back more than 140 years to the year 1878. And just to give you some context, 1878 was the same year that Frederick Douglass purchased his home in Washington, D.C., which he called Cedar Hill. It's still there today. It is a museum. Uh, Today you can go to D.C. and see Frederick Douglass's old home, Cedar Hill. 1878 was also the year that the Marxist dictator and mass murderer Joseph Stalin was born Mm. and it was also the year that Thomas Edison patented the first phonograph. So that's just to give you some context of how far back the origin of the superhero figure goes. Now the superhero character I'm referring to that dates back to 1878 and made his debut in that year was a dark villainous figure known as spring healed Jack. That's hmm. Spring, H-E-E-L-E-D, Jack. Spring-Heeled Jack. Now, Spring-Heeled Jack was created by British author and journalist George Augustus Sala, S-A-L-A. Or if you prefer to go by his full name, George Augustus Henry Fairfield Sala. Okay? George Sala actually was a mentee of the English writer and social critic Charles John Huffman Dickens, who is mm-hmm. known to most of us simply as Charles Dickens, mm-hmm. the author of such well-known and beloved novels as A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, A Tale of Two Cities, and David Copperfield, uh, among others. Now, though Salas' character, spring Jack, was originally created as a villain In the 1970s and 80s, it was reinvented as a crime-fighting superhero who had a secret lair and gadgets, you know, things which are hallmarks of a superhero. There have been many, many superhero figures since the advent of Spring Hill Jack in 1878. There was a character by the name of Hugo Hercules in 1902. There was the Scarlet Pimpernel in 1903. Mm. There was Tarzan the Ape Man who came on the scene in 1912. Mm-hmm. And then there was the masked superhero Zorro in 1919. 
There was the Lone Ranger in 1933. Then came the Green Hornet in 1936 and Superman in 1938. Hmm. But then in 1939, a company by the name of Street and Smith Publications introduced the Pulp Fiction magazine character known as Doc Savage. Mm -hmm. Doc Savage in 1939 by Street and Smith Publications. Doc Savage's character's real name is Clark Savage Jr. Clark Savage Jr. is a physician, scientist, adventurer, detective, inventor, explorer, researcher, and musician. So this guy does it all. (laughs) The Renaissance man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, a team of scientists assembled by Clark Savage's father deliberately trained Doc Savage's mind and body to near superhuman abilities almost from birth, giving him great strength and endurance, a photographic memory, a mastery of the martial arts, and vast knowledge of the sciences. Doc Savage is also a master of disguise and an excellent imitator of voices who writes wrongs and punishes evildoers. Hmm. All right. That's Doc Savage's mission to right wrongs and punish evildoers. Now, a man named Lester Dent, who wrote nearly 200 novels for a Doc Savage magazine, described Doc Savage as a mix of Sherlock Holmes's deductive abilities, Tarzan's outstanding physical abilities, Craig Kennedy's scientific education, and Abraham Lincoln's goodness. Hmm. Now, Dent also described Doc Savage as manifesting what he termed Christliness. Christliness. Hmm. Doc Savage's character and worldview is displayed in his in his oath, which reads as follows, quote, this is Doc Savage's oath. Let me strive every moment of my life to make myself better and better to the best of my ability that all may profit from it. Let me think of the right and lend all my assistance to those who need it with no regard for anything but justice. Let me take what comes with a smile without loss of courage. Let me be considerate of my country, of my fellow citizens and my associates in everything I say and do. Let me do right to all and wrong to no man. That was Doc Savage's oath. Now, the character known as Doc Savage would later be renamed the Avenger. Mm. In fact, it was Stan Lee, the noted American comic book writer, editor, publisher, and producer who passed away. He just passed away in November 2018 and was the primary creative director at Marvel Comics for decades. Stan Lee said that it was the character Doc Savage that gave, sort of paved the way and was the forerunner for such superhero figures as the Avengers. Now, of course, the idea of the superhero has grown more sophisticated since the days of spring Jack and Doc Savage in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. No longer are they merely superhero characters who overcome great and seemingly insurmountable obstacles and challenges to save society. 
they've morphed now into complex personalities that mm-hmm. people can relate to mm-hmm. in one way or another. That is why I believe when you have highly anticipated films such as Avengers Endgame, fans of these films like to dress up as their favorite character from the movie. You notice that, Omaha? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it should go without saying that dressing up as a movie character is not unique to Avengers Endgame. I mean, there have been any number of contemporary films whose openings have been attended by people who, for one reason or another, felt inspired to make themselves up in such a way as to convey an affinity or identification with his or her favorite movie character. One of the more egregious examples of this is the Star Wars series of films. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you go to an opening of one of those films. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Now, the point I'm making is that the idea of the superhero has grown and developed over the decades from that of untouchable and unrelatable figures to characters that people feel they can touch, feel, and relate to as human beings. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to that point later in this episode. That is the attraction of the relational aspect of the superhero to those of us who are mere mortals. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, at last check, I believe Avengers Endgame, which opened only two, I think this is just the second weekend. Second week, open. yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Avengers Endgame is already close to grossing $2 billion in worldwide revenue. And I think by the time this episode airs, it will likely have surpassed that figure of $2 billion in, in worldwide revenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know where that ranks on the top, off the top of my head in terms of other blockbuster movie openings such as Titanic and, and Avatar. But to average a billion dollars a week isn't mm-hmm. bad, to say mm-hmm. the least. The event, in fact, the Avengers Twitter page is approaching 4.7 million followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at last time I checked it, right before this episode, they're right under 4.7 million followers on the Avengers Twitter page. But when you look at the fact that a movie like Avengers Endgame can make that much money in such a short period of time, the question to me anyway becomes, why is it that these types of films ap- appeal to us so strongly? Mm-hmm. What is it about our makeup as human beings that we don't think twice about paying upwards of $20 for a ticket to watch make-believe characters perform scripted, choreographed, and computer-generated acts of supernatural ability? What is it about us as human beings that causes us to want for superhero-type figures to rescue us from the corrupt, malevolent, and nefarious individuals that exist in the world. Why do we celebrate the superhero and not the instigator who necessitates the need for a superhero to begin with? Mm. These are just some of the questions I've contemplated contemplated in my own mind as I was preparing for this episode that we're doing today, Omaha. You got any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, first of all, man, outstanding kind of retrospective the historical view of of kind of where the superhero came from and i don't know if if our listeners were even aware of of, you know that fact i know they they've got to realize though at this point that you know whenever we do a show on the just thinking podcast we spend some time doing our research so there isn't a subject that we tee up that we haven't spent a bit of time doing research on which is evidenced by what you just walked through for for me this was an incredibly interesting process because initially i thought we were we were talking just kind of off offline about you know me me perhaps having to go go this show alone which is never ever my preference (laughs) so that that's not at all fun to do because again we've 
you know, you, you set the bar high. We, we set the bar high with regard to what the product that we want to deliver to our listeners. And it, it requires, it requires a, quite a bit of, of time looking into different topics and subject matter in order to, in order to have our, all of our thoughts put together in the way that we had to. But, but for once, I, once I knew that I had you in place, uh, to begin the show as normal, I, I I took on my my secondary role of just kind of filling in where I thought you might uh, where, where you might go or trying to take some different angles from where uh, where you'd went. My it, initially when we suggested this topic, I had to think through what about it was really interesting to me, and I think you landed on it uh, at, at, at you know at the close of your thoughts. When we think about the massive appeal of the superhero, evidenced by the fact that there are two billion dollars in revenue that were generated in such a short period of time. <clears throat> I think we've got to ask a number of questions, questions like, you know, what is it about superheroes that appeals to so many people? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do, what does, and what does the imaginary world of the superhero tell us, if anything, about our own human frailty and desires? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I, I think another, I think another important question is what is the worldview that's advanced by the, by a particular movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I thought about this and, and, and other questions, I realized that uh, that some people might be thinking these guys are stretching it. You know, what in the world are they talking about a, a worldview being advanced by a superhero? Yeah. Um, but but I, I really beg to differ. Every show, every television show, talk show or movie that we look at has a worldview mm-hmm. uh, that, that it's offering. Darrell, I want to offer a quick example of, yeah, of what, I, what, what I mean by this. I was talking to my wife now. I got I had to get her approval before I used this example, man. So <laughs> Of course. <laughs> of course. That's <laughs> right. So, so, so bear with me for just a second. I talk about, my wife is a big fan of the Wendy Williams show, right? Okay. Right. Now, for, the, for, for those who, who don't know – who Wendy Williams is. She is a, uh, a talk show host that makes her living as kind of a shock jock. She tells stories about celebrities in Hollywood, right? A lot of gossip going on, right? A lot of gossip, a lot yeah. of stuff like that going on, right? Now, while she's calmed down a bit for her television show, she's still an entertainment talk show host. Uh, you know, that, that's the cleaned up version of saying Hollywood commentator, you know, with, with news, that, <laughs> yeah. news that comes from that arena. Anyway, my, my wife would listen to the show and I, I would tell her after a while, I said, I said, baby, you do realize that Wendy is expressing her worldview. In, in fact, her entire mm-hmm. show is a 45-minute experience in the worldview of Wendy Williams as mm-hmm. she explains what's happening in Hollywood. Yeah, great point. And, and, and anyone who listens to her show over time will learn Wendy's worldview and will no longer need for her to provide a full explanation of the events. What becomes entertainment is that once you understand her worldview, she's able to say a word or a phrase, or even give a look to the camera, all the while knowing that you get the underlying meaning of her worldview. Mm-hmm. Well, my mm-hmm. wife, my wife eventually got the point, and uh, and has definitely dialed back the consumption of Wendy Williams. But but my point is in, in explaining that is is even movies, whether it's a whether it's a talk show, whether it's a, a television show, whether it's a movie, whether it's a commercial. All are expressing a worldview, and it's yeah. important for us to at least understand what that worldview is while we're being entertained by it. Great, great point, Omaha. And please thank your lovely wife for giving you permission to use yes. that illustration because I think it's very <laughs> fitting. Absolutely. It's very fitting. It's absolutely fitting. Uh, you know, speaking of worldview, I was thinking again, you know, and, and, and you made a great point how uh, prior to um, – 
uh, airing uh, each episode of the Just Thinking broadcast each week, we put in I don't know how many hours individually, yeah. just yeah. separately. Yes. Preparing for each episode. And I was reflecting on the topic that we were talking about today with the Avengers uh, Endgame. And I was thinking back on how in 1975, the band Earth, Wind & Fire released an album entitled That's the Way of the World. That's the Way of mm-hmm. the World. Earth, Wind mm-hmm. & Fire released that album in 1975. 30 years later, in 2005, Rolling Stone magazine listed the title song, The Way of the World, as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay, Earth, Wind & Fire is The Way of the World. Rolling Stone listed as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time, coming in at number 337. When you listen to that song closely, The Way of the World speaks to a theological reality that is quite germane to our conversation today, particularly as it relates to the problem of evil and our need to be rescued from it. Now, the chorus of the song goes like this. That's the way of the world. Plant your flower and you grow a pearl. Child is born with a heart of gold. The way of the world makes his heart so cold. Let me repeat that. That's the way of the world. Plant your flower and you grow a pearl. Child is born with a heart of gold. The way of the world makes his heart so cold. Now, if you were listening closely to the words I just read, you would immediately recognize the subtle yet significant theological error that is inherent with those lyrics. Child is born with a heart of gold, but the way of the world makes his heart so cold. Now, it should be clear from those lyrics that the way of the world was not written by a Calvinist. (laughs) Because scripture is clear that no one is born with the heart of gold, Mm -hmm. not even precious little children. Let me read some text to you to support that. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 8:21 For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Psalm 51:5 Behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Ecclesiastes 7:20 Indeed there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. And then there's Romans 3.23, which we're all familiar with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no one is born with a heart of gold, contrary to what earth, wind, and fire would argue. Now, to underscore the universal reality of the sinfulness of humanity, I want to quote from the renowned Puritan theologian Jonathan Edwards, who In chapter one of his absolutely brilliant treatise on the doctrine of original sin entitled The Evidence of Original Sin from What Appears in the Fact of the Sinfulness of Mankind. Edwards said this. He said the reality and greatness of the depravity of man's nature appears in this, that he has a a prevailing propensity to be continually sinning against God. 
that same disposition of nature, which is an effectual propensity to immediate sin, amounts to a propensity to continual sin. For a being prone to continual sinning is nothing but a proneness to immediate sin continued. Such appears to be the tendency of nature to sin, that as soon as ever man is capable, it causes him immediately to sin, without suffering any considerable time to pass without sin. And therefore, if the same propensity be continued undiminished, there will be an equal tendency to immediate sinning again, without any considerable time passing. And so the same will always be a disposition still immediately to sin, with as little time passing without sin afterwards as the first. The only reason that can be given why sinning must be immediate at first is that the disposition is so great that it will not suffer any considerable time to pass without sin. And therefore, the same disposition being continued in equal degree without some new restraint or contrary tendency, it will still equally tend to the same effect. What Edwards is saying here is what Earth, Wind, and Fire, he's saying the opposite of what Earth, Wind, and Fire argue. When Edwards says mm-hmm. disposition, he's talking about nature, what, how, how we were born. We're born as sinners. So in quoting Edwards, as well as the aforementioned text from Scripture, the point I'm making, or the point I'm attempting to make here is this. Humanity's desire for superheroes is rooted in the reality of sin, and sin is what produces evil. Jesus himself makes this abundantly clear in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, for from within, Out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. So sin and evil are fundamentally and inextricably linked with regard to mankind's desire and need to be rescued. Mm. But the rescue that we are in such desperate need of is not from some make-believe force or entity that is endowed with supernatural destructive powers by means of Hollywood special effects, but from the inherent sin nature that indwells each of us from the moment we are conceived. For it is from that sin nature that the evil we encounter in this world is born. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Man, I loved everything that you said, especially about our desire to be rescued and the need to be rescued are inextricably related to sin, beginning with our own, right? And then followed by the penalty of our sin. There, there are two two quick thoughts that, that I have here. I'm reminded of the verse of Scripture uh, that tells us uh, of our rescue from the penalty of sin found in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And, and here's how they read. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He, being God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now, this this reality is more powerful than any Hollywood fantasy could ever create. Uh, the fact the fact that sin, death, and evil are completely vanquished forever should cause all of us to pursue Christ our King and worship Him. And uh, He indeed is the greater avenger. But with that, man, I know we're going to talk through that that part of the process uh, as as we move forward. But more, more aimed at the point, Daryl, that you just made, I think it's interesting that the Avenger movie had two specific things that the movie displayed. However, it had a difficult time making the case for their relevance. And you mm-hmm. you you alluded to it and 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 I know we'll probably get into it here in a bit, but the first one was was sin and or evil. Mm-hmm. Uh for example, we 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 never asked the question with regard to the movie, why was the guy who was evil actually evil? Uh was it because mm-hmm. we didn't like him mm-hmm. or was yeah. or 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 were, or was there some objective reason that we could identify for the fact that there was objective sin or objective evil in him. And of course, no one dealt with, with no one in the movie dealt with their, the evil in their own hearts, you know? And so that, that, that was, that was a whole another aspect uh, of the issue. So if, if you haven't seen the movie, just, just keep that in mind. My goal is not to, not to provide any spoiler alert or any spoilers, but just simply to say that, that, Keep that thought in mind. No one ever really deals with uh, with evil as an as an objective by any uh, by any objective standard. The second mm-hmm. thing for which there was no explanation or reflection other than to leverage our own human desire and, and need or, or rather the, the human our human nature uh, with regard to the to the expression of pain was the issue of death. No one ever dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, my goal is not to spoil any part of the movie, uh, but simply to say that, that there are key people who do die in the movie. And the issue is never really discussed. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the, the individual is never really eulogized, nor is anything ever said about the afterlife, like what would happen after death. And since, right. since, since no one seemed to have an answer to the question of what would happen after death, there was little joy in seeing that person again. Uh, mm-hmm. Finally, last last thought about this with regard to the movie in particular, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this moving forward, was both entities, good and evil, whether it was the hero or the villain, they both suffered the same fate, which was death. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, there was nothing promised in the way of reward or justice. N- mm-hmm. Nothing. They, they, wow. both, they both experienced the same the same, wow. the, the, the same, you know, death, but there was no, hey, there was a higher cause. He's going to a greater reward or this one did so much damage and created so much, you know, pain that he's going to. There was nothing. And so that for me left me flat. I think I, I was sharing with you as we teed this up. I, I left that movie theater so saddened. I was really, I didn't go, like, I didn't leave going, ah, this is great. I left like, wow, how sad was that? I, wow. I really, did. again, don't want to delve into it too deeply, but I just yeah. thought I'd, I'd toss those things up, man, for you to for you to swing at as well. Yeah, you know, Omaha, I asked the question earlier, 
in the episode, and, and you've alluded to this as well, what is it about our nature as human beings that causes us to want for superhero type figures to rescue us from the corrupt, malevolent and nefarious individuals that exist in the world? Now, some might regard some might regard that question as one that must be addressed through the lens of philosophy and logic. But when you really think about it, and this is where you were driving uh, just a second ago. This is why I really appreciated what you just shared. When you really think about that question, Omaha, the fundamental objective of superheroes has been to address the problem of evil. I don't care. Go all the way back to 1878 like we did. The fundamental problem, the fundamental objective, rather, of every single superhero character has been to address the problem of evil. And the introduction of the problem of evil demands that we consider the question not in terms of philosophy, but theology, which is what you're talking about in your sort of summary that you just gave a second ago. And I think you did a fantastic job without giving away uh, key points about the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reminded of something that the great philosopher Immanuel Kant said. Kant said this. He said, two things fill my mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The oftener and the steadier I reflect on them. Two mm-hmm. things. One, the starry heavens above me. And the moral law within me. Immanuel Kant, two things fill my mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The oftener and the steadier I reflect on them. The starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. Mm. Now, in those few words, Kant is making two profound acknowledgments that we cannot and must not overlook with regard to the topic we're discussing here today. Number one, Kant is acknowledging, Kant rather, Kant is acknowledging that there is such a thing as a moral law. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then number two, by saying that this moral law is quote unquote within me, Kant is acknowledging that what he describes as the moral law is innate to his existence as a human being. When he says the law is within me, he's saying that that is innate. Okay, so two very crucial and profound acknowledgement Kant is making within that's intrinsic with that quote that I just read from him. Now, I want to pause here and say that we shouldn't take Kant's words. We should take Kant's words with a grain of salt. Take Kant's words that I just read with a grain of salt, because the same man who confessed that he was awed by the moral law within him also said this quote, the greatest human being, I'm sorry, the greatest human quest, the greatest human quest is to know what one must do in order to become a human being. Mm -hmm. Now that's something a humanist would say. Mm -hmm. The greatest human quest is to know what one must do in order to become a human being. So the quote I just read from you earlier, where Kant says the two things that cause him the greatest awe are the starry heavens above and the moral law within him, also said that mankind's greatest quest is to to discover how to become a better man. Now, we know that to not be true because Scripture teaches that the greatest of pursuits 
is to understand and know God. And we know this from Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So scripture clearly disagrees with Immanuel Kant with respect to what is the greatest human quest. The greatest human quest is to know God. But that notwithstanding, okay, Kant's statement concerning the moral law is essentially a recapitulation of what the Apostle Paul declared in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, as being universally applicable to every person. Paul says this, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So when Kant talks about how he is awed by the moral law within me, he's awed because God placed an awareness of that moral law in him. Mm. Now, the Greek adjective evident in Romans 119 that I just read, that Greek adjective evident, that word evident, translates to mean plainly manifest or plainly known. In other words, God has endowed each of us by virtue of his creation, or what in theology is known as general revelation, an innate and clear awareness not only of his existence, but of his holiness in terms of his objective standard of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And intrinsic to that awareness is a God-given desire on our part for righteousness to prevail over unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Omar? Absolutely, man. That That's absolutely right. General revelation, also known as natural revelation, right? This is this is the nature of our epistemology from a biblical worldview. Now, epistemology is just the theory of knowledge. It's how we know what we know. And the biblical worldview rightly believes that all men created in the image of God have the natural revelation, a natural innate ability to know God to know right from wrong, to know good from evil, and mm-hmm. even the fact that God exists on the basis of what God has revealed to us in nature. So we, we don't need a we don't need a book necessarily to tell us that God exists. Scripture declares in Psalm nineteen, one and two that the heavens declare the glory mm-hmm. of God. The sky glory above God. proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. We know God exists Furthermore, we know all we know all that we need to know innately. And, and that's that's kind of what you were what, what you were speaking of, what Kant exactly. knew. Right. That, mm-hmm. that what 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 scripture declares. And, and that's the truth that we as Christians have to believe and know and understand uh, is that God has given us knowledge of him sufficient for our condemnation. Right. Mm-hmm. No right from wrong. But we'll need special revelation, which God in his grace, it is a grace of God that we actually have the word of God uh, so that we can know God and have relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Man, that's that's what Khan is speaking to. And that's how we know uh, what we know, right from wrong, good from evil, Mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things. Absolutely. 
Exactly right. So I was saying earlier, and I just want to hammer on this for just a second. You know, there's undoubtedly countless reasons why people have chosen to spend more than two billion dollars to see Avengers Endgame. There's, uh-huh. there's no telling how much money that film will end up making just in the right. theater. So we're not even talking about when it goes to streaming and DVD and things of that nature. Right. But in the end, okay, in the end, when all is said and done about Avengers Endgame, a key reason that fans of the Avengers or any such films of that genre, a key reason fans are drawn to those types of films is because there exists something within each of us that wants to see good triumph over evil, Mm -hmm. that wants to see right triumph over wrong and righteousness triumph over unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. It is a desire that is driven by what Immanuel Kant said is the moral law that is within each of us. It's why the character Doc Savage was rebranded as the Avenger. Because something within us wants the evils committed against us, whether individually or societally, to be avenged. Mm-hmm. We want those evils to be made objectively and immediately right by someone we deem to be righteous. Absolutely. Daryl, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here and, and just mention what you just said in its importance for all of our listeners to understand it goes back to what's innately on the inside of us, uh, what God has placed there. That's a part of the Imago Day screaming out, right? Exactly a des- right. A, de- a desire for, for right rather than wrong, a desire for good to triumph over evil. That's exactly what's on the inside of each and every one of us based upon the manner in which we're created. And, and that's something that's important in our current cultures. We, as we have a tendency to want to get off of that benchmark and decide it's our feelings that, that, that dictate who we are and what we are and how we're to live and survive. Once we get off of being created in the image of God and having a standard, a plumb line, if you will, roots that go deep, uh, Deeper than deeper than what we what we can see with our eyes or touch with our hands with that which is spiritual in nature, uh, that's that's the basis of all of what all of how we live, all of the way in which we operate. Yeah, Omaha, you really made a great point about our that that sort of impetus coming out of the Imago Day that resides in each and every one of us, obviously because every person is created to bear the image of God, mm. created to bear the image of God by God Himself, and I think mm-hmm. when you talk about that Omago day and, 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 and how that desire for righteousness and, and for evil and sin to be defeated is, is born out of that. It, it connects to a point I wanted to make in that our desire for a superhero isn't limited to just someone who possesses superpowers. Mm-hmm. We also want that person to be good. Yeah, that's good. We want that superhero to be righteous. Mm-hmm. that's been the case across the timeline, across the continuum of the superhero character. They're Absolutely. not just strong. They're good. Yeah. Here, here's, here's one thing that's interesting about that though. And again, not to won't create any spoilers. It's interesting though, the, the closer and closer you, I think that was I think what you just said was absolutely true, especially about the characters you mentioned early on 1800s, early 1900s. And you were kind of going through that whole list. And, and as you went through it, I, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I remember that character. I had no idea he went, went that far back. Zorro mm-hmm. and the Lone Ranger in 1933. 
the Green Hornet, 1936, Superman, 1938. All of those characters also had had a righteousness, had an innate goodness mm-hmm. yep. attached to them. But interestingly mm-hmm. enough, the closer you get to some of these recreated characters, uh, they begin to take on the 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 nature of the culture. There's the, there's there's there are fatal flaws in them, mm-hmm. exactly. right? There are these there are these more humanistic characteristics that are Mm -hmm. attached to them. So they really more than superheroes, they become more superhuman. Right. Mm -hmm. They 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 switch from superhero, someone that we should aspire to be like because of the innate goodness on the inside of them and simply are characters who have superhuman strengths or abilities or brilliance or smartness to create something that Mm -hmm. gives them super strength. Uh, and, 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 and at the same time, they're, they're flawed, they're broken they're mm-hmm. And, and what was interesting is there's no judgment about that, right? Yep. There's no, there, yep. there's no, because of their worldview, there's no moral judgment about that, about that, that flawed, uh, person be, be that, that standard being broken. Hey, they, they mm-hmm. messed up the standard. Here's what's happened. I, that's mm-hmm. just something I'm kind of seeing, uh, as as I went and noticed this this particular movie, so man, that's an excellent point, Omaha, and this sort of draws me back to something I just mentioned a second ago. And with respect to there being something within us, and you know, you made the connection to the Imago Day, and that's mm-hmm. exactly where that comes from. There's something within us that wants the evils that are committed against us, whether individually or societally, to be avenged. We want evil avenged. Okay, now some of the evils that I'm talking about are described by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Listen to what Paul lists off as the kinds of evils uh, that we're confronted with because of our own sin nature. Listen to this. Paul says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That was Romans 1, 28 through 32. Now, Paul here is being unapologetically brutal in his blistering critique of those who will blatantly and arrogantly disregard and ignore what they know in their hearts to be true about God. And it is the same disregard for God's precepts and principles that result in the evil that we long to be delivered from in this world. Paul conveys that truth this way in Romans 8, verses 22 and 23. He says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. The whole creation longs to be rescued, in other words. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly 
for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So Paul is conveying here this innate desire that we have, this innate awareness that we know that something about this world is wrong. Something about this world is wrong. And we long to be delivered from what is wrong with this world. You know, movies like Avenger Endgame, they're they're really merely worldly representations of a spiritual reality that applies universally to each and every person. And that reality is this, a desire for the ultimate and final defeat of evil. Every, every one of us wants this. That's a universal truth for each of us. We all desire the ultimate and final defeat of evil. An excellent example of this is from Scripture in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. I'm going to read from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord? Will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Wow. That's Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk says, justice comes out perverted. Now, the last sentence of Habakkuk's lamentation is essentially why human beings are drawn to superheroes. Because in our sin-laden sin-impacted world, justice often comes out perverted. In the original Hebrew, that adjective perverted in Habakkuk 1.4 literally translates to mean bent or twisted. So what Habakkuk is sorrowfully describing is exactly what sin has done to our world. Sin has twisted and bent this world in terms of what God described when he created it as good. Sin has bent and twisted that. It's been that way since Genesis 3 onward, when Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden for disobeying the God who placed them there in the first place. Consequently, mankind in his futility has been searching for a superhero ever since to make this world to be what God originally intended before sin entered into it. Mm-hmm. We've been looking for a hero since Genesis chapter 3. Or to put it another way, we're looking for someone who can accomplish what the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 8. We're looking for someone who can destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what we're looking for. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Man, that's powerful. Uh, the whole The whole of what you shared there is is incredibly incredibly powerful setup for our need for our superhero right for our need uh for the true superhero the savior himself right um right. genesis genesis 3 man really uh really hits it and and it, and it, even from there if we go if we drop down to verse 15 we get hints 
of that, right? That we, we call that, what is it? The, the, the proto evangelium, right? Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's the first, first word. gospel, right? Yep. That's the, that's the first call of, of, of the gospel that there would be one who was coming that would save mankind. He would be one who would come as a man. He was the second Adam and he would destroy the enemy. It, it's uh, Genesis three fifteen. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, now for me, when, when I read the truth of scripture, the, the world of make-believes, the, the world of make-believe just seems to fall apart, man. It just it falls yep. so short. This, this reality is incredible. As we, If you're in the pages of scripture from Genesis looking forward to the pinnacle, the historical event of all human creation, the fact that Christ would come and live and die on a cross, as we, as we see the, the hints of that through the pages of scripture from Genesis on, on through, we should be awestruck. And for those of us who actually have the opportunity to be on the other side of the cross, looking back at it through right. the gospel's proclamation and declaration that there's nothing greater there is not there is nothing greater in all humanity than than the savior entering into the world to vanquish all evil i mean it's amen. just the bottom line amen it is the bottom line it is the bottom line and the rescue man truly needs right talk about bottom line mm-hmm. the rescue mankind truly needs is to be delivered from the bondage of our Come sin. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's the rescue mankind truly needs. Mm-hmm. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 6. He says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him mm-hmm. in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That's that rescue. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So the rescue we really need is to be rescued from our bondage to sin. Come on. Now, nevertheless, though, the predicament in which mankind finds himself is not a hopeless one. But what humanity needs is not a comic book superhero, but a savior who will defeat sin and evil once and for all. And Jesus Christ has done just that. Mm. Christ has done that. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. Spurgeon says, in the end of the world, Christ was revealed to put away sin. He did not come into the world to palliate it merely or to cover it up, but he came to put it away. Observe, he not only came to put away some of the attributes of sin, such as the filth of it, the guilt of it, the penalty of it, the degradation of it. He came to put away sin itself. For sin, you see, is the fountain of all the mischief. And that's what we've been saying from minute one of this episode, Omaha. Evil is rooted in sin. This is exactly what Spurgeon is saying. Spurgeon says, for sin, you see, is the fountain of all the mischief. Christ did not come to empty out the streams, but to clear away the fatal source of the pollution. He appeared to put away sin itself, sin in its essence and being. Do not forget that he did take away the filth of sin, the guilt of sin, the punishment of sin, the power of sin, the dominion of sin, and that one day he will kill in us the very being and existence of sin. Amen. Was that powerful yes. or what? Bro, that, that's man. Come on. 
that, you see, the that words I just read, yes, the words I just read from Spurgeon can be said of no human being. No human being, either real or imaginary. The truth is there are no superheroes, but there is a savior. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. That's the rescue we need. That's the deliverance we need. We need deliverance from this present evil age. Paul reiterates that truth in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where he says this, for he, that is God, for he rescued from the domain of darkness, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, just as a point of exegesis, I want to point out to our listeners that the English word rescue in both of those texts. OK, we heard the English word rescue appear in both of those texts. But the English word rescue in Galatians 1, 4 is the Greek word exireo, which means to choose out of or to pluck out of. But though that same English word rescue appears in Colossians 1, 13, it is a different word in the Greek. It is the verb ryomai, which means to choose out or pluck out for the purpose of drawing to one's self. So we have same English word, but two different Greek words. And what I want our listeners to understand is that that is what salvation is. Plucking Christ, plucking us out, choosing us out of this world for the purpose of drawing us to himself. That's what salvation is in a nutshell. God himself has so ordained that through the atoning and propitiatory death of his son, Jesus Christ, believers are not only rescued from God's wrath, but are eternally united with him by faith in Christ. And the quote-unquote superpower, if you will, through which God has accomplished this salvation is not some imaginary computer-generated ability or attribute assigned to an actor in a three-hour movie for which you have to pay money to experience the momentary sensation of being delivered from evil, but the actual blood of Jesus Christ, which was literally shed on the cross at Calvary. Man, you got you got to stop, man. You that that was a mic drop. That that, that. <laughs> cue up the mascot, Omaha. Cue come up the on, three, come on, dude. Oh cue my gosh! But you got you got to walk me through that one again. You have Let's to say that again because you know you, you know Omaha. You know how we roll the black church, right? I'm at the pulpit. You to my right, and I say read. You read. <laughs> Right, right, right. You read, I preach. <laughs> That's how we roll, right? That's how it rolls, bro. That's how we did it. That's how we did it. Man, you got you got to walk through that again. That was so and and here's the thing, and here's why I want you to walk us through that again. What you just said encapsulated verbally every experience that I felt when I left the theater. That is exactly how I felt when I walked out of the theater. I thought, man, how I I just paid whatever we paid. I don't know, 12, mm-hmm. 13, 14 bucks a ticket to go see the movie. 
uh, popcorn. I mean, we weren't even going to all of that. But I left going, that's it? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's it? Mm-hmm. Uh, now people were staying because I know there was some some stuff at the after that was over. I was so disappointed, and 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 the reason I was disappointed was because I recognized immediately that the real world that I live in, because of what Christ has done on the cross, how He has transformed mm-hmm. and changed my life, that I've experienced in real life. Something that however many millions of dollars it took to create that movie couldn't even scratch a fingernail on. Bruh. Bruh, come over. Come over. Couldn't, couldn't touch the hem of Tell its him, garment, bro. man. It couldn't, Tell it him. couldn't come close. Tell him, bro. That's why I left there going, that's it? That's 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 the best y'all got? Like that's it. Okay, well, mm-hmm. all right, you know. Yep. And again, I'm not. This is no blame game. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just talking about the reality of what Hollywood can create, and what is really happening by the power of God in the life of one whose heart has been regenerated and has been has been transformed by the power of Christ. Man, Amen, bro. Oh my gosh, man. Come on. You got any more? You is that it, man? You got you got some more. You got some more. Or you, or you like that Heinz ketchup bottle, man? It just kind of comes out kind of slow, but then once it gets going, <laughs> it's gone, right? <laughs> but I'm gonna repeat you what got, I just said. Gotta say that again, man. It it, it, spark, it sparked everything I just I just said. What I said was this: I said God Himself has so ordained that through the atoning and propitiatory death of His Son Jesus Christ, believers are not only rescued from God's wrath but are eternally united with him by faith in Christ. And the superpower, if you will, I'll put it in air quotes, and the superpower through which God has accomplished this salvation is not some imaginary computer-generated ability or attribute assigned to an actor in a three-hour movie for which you have to pay money to experience the momentary sensation of being delivered from evil but the actual physical blood of Jesus Christ, which was literally shed on the cross at Calvary. Okay. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians two verses one through six, a, this is Paul in Ephesians two, one through six. And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, and first let me pause right here. I've often said that apart from the name Jesus Christ, those two words, Apart from Jesus Christ, the two most powerful words in the entire Bible are but God. Mm-hmm. That's me. That's yeah. my own view. Yeah. The two most powerful words in Scripture are but God. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, no Marvel Avenger can do that. No Marvel Avenger can do that. No Marvel Avenger can save you from your sin. The sad thing is that many people today are blind to the fact that deliverance from sin is their most desperate need, which is why it's so critical for us as believers to be diligent in preaching and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. For only in Christ is true and eternal salvation to be found. Any thoughts, Omaha? Just just reflecting on that, I think I, I, I've already kind of shared my 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 initial thoughts. I, I think about even the work of Christ that goes further in and and placing us in Him and 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 the riches of of God the Father that are aimed at us through Christ. Uh, I, I think about uh, uh, passages of Scripture like Colossians chapter three verse three, for you died and your life is now hidden in. Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. that we are hidden in. So all, all of all of what would come for us or come at us, it's irrelevant because because we're hidden, not in a superhero, but in our Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I, mean, I think about the, the, the power of of that, uh, that reality, man, it, it, it's, it's mind blowing. And like I said earlier, it, it surpasses anything else that's out there. So for those who, who go and see the movie, that's great. Encourage you, check it out, enjoy it. But man, when you leave there, my prayer would be that you would reflect on what we have in Christ and understand how much greater it is than anything that you'll watch on a, on a movie screen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, you know, in this world, in this world, Avengers Endgame, regardless of how much money it makes, will only and always be a fictional account of what mankind has desired for millennia. But there is an end game coming. Oh man. In which God himself will avenge his own righteousness on evildoers. There is an end game coming. Let me read some scriptures that attest to that. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses eight and nine. This is the Jesus who everybody says is a God of love, mercy, forgiveness. Yeah, and he is that. But this is that same Jesus. Listen to this. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. Quote, dealing out retribution. This is Jesus when he comes back. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's talking about Jesus there. Psalm 99, verse 8. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. That was Psalm 99, 8. Romans 13, 4. God is an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So God is described in scripture literally as an avenger. (laughs) And lastly, Omaha, as we close, there's the consummation of God's vengeance. 
the consummation of God's vengeance, the ultimate consummation, the ultimate fulfillment of God's vengeance, as written in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. This is beautiful. This should give comfort to all believers. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The thing about movies is there are often sequels because the antagonist never is completely destroyed. Think about that, Omaha. There are often sequels because the antagonist is never completely destroyed. But you see, when Christ, who is the ultimate avenger, Christ, who is the great avenger, when he comes again to earth to make all things new, Satan and sin and evil will be forever destroyed, never to return again. I think that's a great place to land, great place to stop. Man, enjoyed it with you. My prayer is, again, that you all are encouraged by everything that you have just listened to on the Just Thinking broadcast. Tune in with us next week for another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast.